But yeah, that's where it's like, instead recognizing, it, I was telling Avi, like the stocks that you rode down during this beatdown aren't the ones you have to ride, like, ride it back out. Love and, that. That's, and that's true. where I realized, like, I got to pivot away from the type of growth stocks that I think, or, you know, people used to say, like, fold forward all this growth, can trade it, you know, 20 times sales. That's not how it always works. It only works like that in a market where money is free, rates are zero, irrational exuberance. Where can we still position ourselves for significant upside, but also protect ourselves to the downside via cash flow and earnings? So that's where it's like selling all these hyper growth tech stocks. And yeah, I bought the boring stuff like Meta and uh, Amazon and Google, companies like that that made sense. And also, you know, still keeping it exciting, like with the Tesla sell off, but you see those have come back strong quicker than a lot of the money losing tech companies. So then even like this first bout of weakness that we've seen, hyper growth, it's like right back to where they were at the lows in October, where the big boys, like, yeah, Meta's gone down from 326 to 280. But these other companies, you know, they're, they're back to their lows or like a C limited is pushing new lows. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 88 of Pounding the Table. I am here live with my co-hosts, Joey Salitro and Shai Balour, who is dealing with a incoming hurricane in California. And this episode is sponsored by our friends over at PeakBot. If you missed our episodes a few weeks back, PeakBot is an incredible new way to automate your trading at the click of a button. So check them out. Use PeakBot.com. They're giving our listeners two weeks free. No credit card down, nothing required. And then if you like it, you get 50% off. So use the promo code PTT when you sign up. Shy, how are you feeling? I'm a little scared. Uh, it's my first hurricane experience in my life. Like, I don't know if I should box up my windows or like put my car in a safe area with no trees. Like, I have no idea what Sunday and Monday is going to be like. It's all so as, as a Florida resident, I can. I mean, I was at, I lived in Florida for 28 years, so I could tell you exactly what you're supposed to do in a hurricane. Text your boys, say, what are you doing for the hurricane? Because in Florida, it's all about who is having the hurricane party. How are you preparing for the hurricane? Legit, you say, what are you doing for the hurricane? And it's <laughs> of who is hosting. And I, I mean, I remember my senior year in high school, or it might have been my freshman year, I don't even remember, but we had a year, it was three hurricanes in like the first three months of school. It was wild. This yeah, trio came in. So we might have had three weeks of school over the first three months. And yeah, it was always, hey, what are you doing for the hurricane? And yeah, you just go over, someone's hosting a party, have a lot of fun. So, I mean, people in California might not know how to do it right, but take some notes from Florida, start asking, what are you doing? You for guys the have earthquake parties out in California? No, yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs> big deal. Those are easy. We're not built for hurricanes. There's definitely a lot more fear in my with my friends on Sunday and Monday. We'll see. I'm looking at uh, ordering some pho, some soup, some pho. I was uh, I was actually in Bali for a crazy earthquake and in Costa Rica, and it was scary. I've never been in an earthquake prior to the one in Costa Rica. I think it was seven point one, but it was a hundred miles out. But it, the entire ground was like shifting and shaking. The thing with earthquakes, though, it's quick. 
hurricanes, it's like a slow build where you see like the water rising, rising, and like cars flooding. It's just like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know, we'll see. Well, it's been kind of a microcosm for the market. So that's a good uh, segue. <laughs> We've had uh, Maui with the fires and everything. It's been a- uh, You know what's terrifying though is tornadoes. Like I'll deal with a hurricane. Earthquakes still sound pretty terrifying, but a tornado? Joe, you've been talking about this ticker symbol VFS. I finally looked them up. VinFast, a Vietnamese EV maker, made their debut on NASDAQ. And just like all of these earth calamities, they've been hit pretty heavy. I think it was down 15% today, 50% or so from their IPO. So what's going on with them? They, people don't believe in uh, Vietnamese car makers? This whole thing has been pretty wild to watch. A lot of the EV startups for a long time got these insane valuations coming out of the gate. Like think Rivian when it came out. There were a couple others where this EV maker is already worth more than Ford and GM and they haven't sold a single car, all these different things. So then you see VinFast coming and immediately you get this stock poppy, you start seeing the headline. This is valued you know, more than Ford, more than GM. Start looking, yeah, they got some cool looking cars, but then you just see you, what kind of financials you're actually looking at. It's like the, there's no way this can hold up. So yeah, we were we were texting when the stock was you know 35, 36, 37, just keeps going. I'm thinking this is not going to end well because like the actual valuation of this company should be 90 percent lower. And sure enough, you know it's down over 50 percent since then. And it's still valued, if TD Ameritrade's correct, at $38 billion, which I feel like is still <laughs> exponentially higher than it really should be. So, I mean, traders might have fun with this, but I don't see any world where you actually want to own this. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of news here with EVs. Fisker, I feel like we talk about this every week, the new car company coming on the Tesla supercharger network. So Fisker is the last victim, uh, the latest victim, excuse me of Elon Musk here with the supercharger. And they also, Tesla announced a cheaper and lower range Model X and Model S without saying this is Elon Musk's world, which sounds on repeat every single week, Joey. Anything paramount to this or you think we're just all just in Elon's world? It's his industry. And I mean, we've seen it with his margins. It's his charger network. As we've said on previous podcasts, I feel like eventually- podcast. All- Basically. I mean, we talk about him so much. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, he's an unofficial. The next one's SpaceX too, right? Of course. He's so dominant in the industry and he recognized early on, it was about your manufacturing capability and efficiency. And that's why he was sleeping on these warehouse floors. That's why the gigafactories are just so incredible to see that I feel like we discussed on a previous podcast where they could become like the Taiwan semiconductor of EVs where GM, Ford, all these guys have to go to Tesla and say, we need you to manufacture our cars so they could actually make money on it. But first off, why would he? Maybe once he's got enough factories, then he can start taking on other people's stuff. But yeah, the charging network, everything, people are adopting his as the standard, but I still don't think any other car will become what Tesla is. And we've said it time and time again, what Brian Sullivan had tweeted out, people don't just want EVs, they want Teslas. One thing I want to add to that is this price reduction isn't a demand issue. I keep seeing all over Twitter, oh, demand's low, so they have to lower the pricing. No, it's not. It's to increase their market share. Their Cybertruck, I read, it has 1.9 million pre-orders. Like Tesla wow. has insane demand and he can 
sacrifice some profit on the Model X and S because he's going to make it back in the Cybertruck. Like this is, like Joey said, Elon's world and we're just living in it. Yeah, and, and on the same topic of price cuts, like, yeah, I, I've seen the same things time and time again, but it's because he has the margins to be able to do it. If mm-hmm. there's any other car that could possibly take a sale away from Tesla, if he can just cut prices, knowing that there, there's so much more cost that goes into it, like if you have a Tesla, yeah, you're, you're going to want to use the Tesla supercharger network. Or if you've got like the self-driving subscription or these different things they can continue to sell in, he knows there's a big software component that goes with it. He's going to take, you know, he's going to get that sale however he needs to get it. So pricing is just, it's a toy for them. And that's the beauty of having the margins that Tesla has. You can do whatever you want. And everyone else is like, you know, most companies are losing money on, on each sale where, yeah, he, he can just jack with his prices and still make money. Well, especially with the inflation going higher. I mean, that's kind of been the big story that's been looming over our heads in general. And you're know, talking about Tesla right now, but I feel like the companies that have a boatloads of cash already and don't need to go out and raise a lot more funds right now, it's like those companies are going to truly separate. And I think that's happening now with Tesla, as we're seeing, and some of these other companies can't go raise capital as efficiently as they used to. Hindenburg Research, so they're known for all their short reports, if you guys are unfamiliar with them. They just put one out on Freedom Holding Corp. However, Hindenburg goes down, Freedom Holding Corp goes up. Usually they've been pretty good on their calls, but this one seems to be off. So Hindenburg puts out this report, and I think at first Freedom Holding Corp, FRHC actually ended up going down. But now today we see it's surging back and it's now actually above the price where it was before the report came out. So the thing about Freedom Holding is, and I looked at this years ago, they've got retail brokerage services and capital markets in like smaller countries. I think Ukraine was one of them. I want to say they had an exchange in Russia and then some smaller like Middle Eastern. So it's one of those that seem easy for a short report to go after to try to say, hey, look, they're operating these small entities in these small countries that could have some jacked up financials. However... To see the stock kind of raging back, I wouldn't say it's a loss by Hindenburg at this point because a lot of shorts take time to pan out if they are correct. I haven't dug through the short report to to really know. And again, it's Freedom Holding Corp. I don't really have an interest in owning the stock. Uh, I don't own it. I don't really care enough to even read it. But with the research they've done in the past and you know how I want to say they have a, a good track record to where... I wouldn't be buying into this surge, but again, that could just be because I'm not really interested in owning the company in the first place. Yeah. A couple of points I want to make on top of what Joey said is I'm not a big fan of the business model for brokerages and they're a $4 billion market cap and there's not one analyst covering them. So that's a pretty big red flag. I don't even know what to expect when they report earnings really, because it's just like a toss up and I don't like going blind in my investments. So that's something you guys all should look out for if you're looking into freedom holding. Yeah, and see, this is the last thing. So I, I brought up something that I originally looked at. So when I was looking at this years ago, Russia was still you know, an issue going on. And so the company in 2008 was founded in Moscow and they had 12 branches in Russia and they've got these different exchanges They acquired something in Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, Ukraine. So you can see like 
there could be a lot of issues for a company like that with operations in Russia. So I thought their Russian operations would almost be like blacklisted to American markets. So I know like when Yandex, Ozon, and some other companies like seized to trade in the United States, I thought Freedom Holding Corp would be in a similar situation. Like, hey, you drive profits from Russia, you can't trade on an American exchange or, or something along those lines. So I don't really know how they got through all of that or if their entity is different to where they're allowed to. But that was another thing that I was iffy about if this stock could even really trade on U.S. exchanges or if out of nowhere you're going to wake up, your stock halted and you can't even sell it. All right, enough about that. Visa is going to face a probe from the DOJ over its token technology and how it's used with customer information. It's starting to get interesting. Bitcoin just got hit. I didn't see what it did today later on, but Bitcoin's been getting crushed here. So the big thought I had in the space was I woke up to a headline talking that Elon Musk SpaceX sold all the Bitcoin on its balance sheet. And Shai and I were talking about this earlier where yeah, that was almost seen as like uh, Elon is going against crypto or he sees something that we need to see. Like the, the smartest man in the world just did this. Should we follow suit? So then I was even seeing headlines that the dramatic plunge was following the report of this coming out. So I feel like that had more to do than things going on at Visa or Coinbase. But it's one of those industries where I have a little bit of exposure to Bitcoin, but I don't understand it well enough or just see so much negativity surrounding it that I kind of default to, you know, asking you, Avi, you know, what's going on here? What's legitimate here? What is PayPal doing with this stable coin? Like, is PayPal going to be like the source of legitimate crypto going forward, which remains to be seen. You're pretty much our chief crypto officer. Like, how do you feel about this news? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really interesting because you see all of these like PayPal and there's like WorldCoin with Sam Altman, who's trying to be the one currency. Then there's like the believers, the Bitcoin maxis of the world that believe that their currency is the one. You know? So it's jostling back and forth. And then, of course, you got all these governments making their own CBDCs right now as well, which People, whenever I bring that up to people, they're like, that's a conspiracy theory. And I'm like, it's literally not. Just Google. <laughs> like right now, you can Google CBDCs and there's like 160 different governments that are currently building those out. So it, it's fascinating. I'm actually bringing some folks on that used to be on the inside in the government to the Block Fuel podcast. If you guys are interested in crypto, the government at any time basically could say crypto is illegal and Bitcoin's illegal. And Bitcoin, the price will get cut in half instantly. And then you dig further and there's literally a thousand people that own 80% of the Bitcoin as well. And it's core, like Bitcoin is beautiful, right? It's, it democratizes finance for everyone. There's no central entity. And that's kind of the beauty behind Bitcoin in its most basic form. And we don't really see it yet here in the US because we quote unquote trust our banks, but that feels like that uh, trust is slowly deteriorating as well. You talk to people in like Venezuela where the, the, the banks and there's hyperinflation, people then are going towards Bitcoin and other nations are using it as, as their bank, right? There's a lot of countries that are unbanked altogether. I close out by saying like the idea of Bitcoin in its raw form is great, where this decentralized currency, different ways of it actually being valued, valued on supply and demand. We can't just print a ton of Bitcoin like we can cash and you never right, exactly value it. And it's like decentralized all this, but then you see governments trying to regulate it and like turn it into a centralized current. And so the idea of it was great. And I feel like governments getting involved made it not great. 
And so now I'm just left confused as to, okay, so is it decentralized? Is it centralized? Is it regulated? Is well, it Satoshi Nakamoto in Japanese? If you translate it, 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 it translates to central intelligence. So for the conspiracy theorists out there in the world, but uh, there is a conspiracy theory that Elon Musk was Satoshi Nakamoto. I just think it's weird that no one, they can find people in holes in Afghanistan, but they can't find, uh, can't find who wrote that blog post. Using right. Like, come on. Yeah. This podcast will get shut down tomorrow. Anyways, speaking of jobless claims, they came in at uh, 239, estimated 240. Anything to touch on there? We keep saying that they're kind of fake in terms of companies putting out that they're hiring. They may not be. It's all noise. Oh, so, yeah. It's, it's all the numbers too much. Nonsense. And then like unemployment rate. I know a lot of people that were like laid off and are looking for a job collecting unemployment, but they're not counted as unemployed. It's crazy. And now I, I saw this latest video explaining how inflation's fake and how they mess up the calculations with that. So I'm going to get that guy on TikTok and try to get him to come on the podcast to explain it. But you know, it's this beautiful explanation where you know, inflation, they show they take a basket of goods and then show, oh, here's what it used to cost. Here's what it is now right. and how they can calculate it. But I guess within that, you're allowed to substitute an item for another that could be the same thing. So like his example is technically that you could substitute steak for ground beef. And like calling those apples apples comparison is not legitimate. So that's a way you can make inflation look like it's better than it really is. I, when I fact checked some of it, I was like, okay, there are substitutions. The other thing is the government or the regulating body that does this does not have to disclose the substitutions or anything that was made for the calculations. So you just have to take that data for what it is and you cannot ask questions as to how they got to it. We're not idiots. Like, right? Know, immediately. I was like, like, no, inflation is here. Things are a lot more expensive. No, and, a lot more and I was money. watching the video. I was like, yeah. no, this guy, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And I like clicked. I'm like, damn it. He's right. Like, yeah. how is this real? So I'm like, well, we already knew because, you know, inflation seems to come down. Man, I went to the grocery store today. I walked out. I could carry my five bags. I went in for like six things and washed out with one. Spent 50 bucks. And I was like, I was looking as I was taking stuff out. I was like, I got like three things of banana. Like, how did I spend $50? Like, come to New York. I buy pasta, pasta sauce, chicken, $35, $40 easily. It's gotten crazy. Let's get into earnings. Talk about see ya later limited. Shy, your big smiles over there. We shouldn't be smiling. Z's just got absolutely destroyed and continues to go on that demise right now. C-Limited is such a tragic story. But first, before I get into it, I just want to thank Joey Rockets for convincing me to sell my C-Limited for Mercado Libre a yeah. month ago. That's saved a decent chunk of my portfolio. So kudos, Joey. C-Limited had a really disappointing earnings and it made the management not as holy as I thought they would be. Like Right now, they're trading at $23 billion market cap. In 2021, they kind of did a secondary offering raising $10 billion in cash. So think about that. They raised 50% of their current market cap right now, two years ago, raising $10 billion in cash. What did they use that cash on? It wasn't to invest in their fulfillment center in Southeast Asia. It was to expand more into countries like Europe, France, that are low quality growth, instead of actually just investing in their current mode in their region, just like Mercado Libre did. And look where they are now. So that was a one ding on management. 
So they kind of deserve this kind of big dip. Two quarters ago, they reported like surprising like profitability. They beat estimates. Looking into the numbers from two quarters ago, management kind of misled everyone. It was more like they cut their sales and marketing costs. They increased the prices on the sellers. So it's kind of like short-term fixes that investors thought like, oh, maybe this is like the bottom pivoting towards profitability without sacrificing much, like that much growth. That wasn't the case. So they've struggled the past two quarters. I do think that management mentioned on the call, like they're kind of flip-flopping now. Like we're not going to focus on profitability that much. We're going to go towards growth. Do you know why? It's because there's pretty insane competition right now in that region. Uh, a couple of them that come to mind is the Alibaba one. Uh, oh, the other one, TikTok has even had like a TikTok shop now. Like there's definitely fierce competition. I think management specifically forced is realizing like we can't just focus on profitability. We need to go back to growth, increase the market share to get some kind of moat. But they like, they completely messed up. And I don't think it's too late for them to like change courses and go back to what they used to be potentially. But they missed their window, I think, in two what? years ago. How much market they have on the e-commerce space. Because like now that I'm just doing a post-mortem in my head, they're pretty much this gaming company with obviously Garena being their bread, but- and bread and butter. Right? They're making all their money from Free Fire. And then did they paint this picture of an e-commerce company and build all these others? How much revenue is coming from those other areas? No, so this is this was like my original bear case when I was telling we talked about this like a year ago. And and again, like the last couple of times we brought it up, even talking to Shy when I was trying to tell him, Do you really want to own C Limited or would you rather own more Mercado Libre? Explaining how so when C Limited was originally coming public, they were green and they changed their name to C Limited, be like SEA Southeast Asia, because they thought long term we're gonna be more than just gaming. And they had these other units, which I think it they had a different name for C money and Shopee was their e-commerce thing, but those were like in their infancy, but they didn't want to pigeonhole themselves. It's just gaming. But the whole thing I, I had been explaining in the last couple of podcasts was Garena is the cash cow that feeds the rest of the business. And Garena was seeing revenues falling, bookings falling, uh, users were on the decline. And the thing was, I kept being told, oh, gaming bottom and it was on the upswing. And my whole thing was, what if it didn't? And, and we kind of saw this quarter where digital entertainment revenue was down, their bookings were down, their users were up and their paying users were up, but their average bookings per user, think of it like ARPU was down. So to see the gaming unit still struggling, they're not going to have the cash to feed the rest of the business. Now, granted, this company has a lot of cash on its balance sheet, but these adjusted profitability, but it's not all that significant to where you don't know how to value it on earnings. You don't know how to value it on sales. Sales overall are only growing single digits. So it's this gray area. How do I value this company? Meanwhile, you've got Mercado Libre growing revenues, what, like north of 50%. Profitability is there. It's on point. Everything about that business is thriving. So like comparing the two, it's like there is an easy way to do it. Now, the big thing for C Limited is you could say, oh, look how cheap it is. You don't want to buy stock just because it's cheap. You want to buy a great business that's trading at a reasonable valuation than you know, a, a decent one trading at a, what you would think is a very inexpensive valuation because that could get even cheaper as we go. And now you see the stock in the 30s for the first time. since It's got to be since like 2020 or maybe it kissed 30s uh, during the decline. But 
it's a pretty rough situation there and it, it's a trading stock i would say at this point but i'm still i'd be iffy even holding this over the weekend it's a great learning lesson like seal limited like this used to be a fence with darling couple red flags you should notice for future references for other companies is like Sealone had stopped releasing their GMV. That's a red flag. They kind of like weren't as transparent on the calls anymore a couple quarters ago. They're now reporting green numbers as quarter over quarter instead of year over year. That's like misleading already. Like year over year, they're down like 40, 50%, but they're pitching like, oh, we're only down single digits quarter over quarter. Like, okay, that's very misleading. But like Joey said, it is a great like stock to trade. It's I personally think it's oversold. Like they're trading three times. Their market cap's twenty three bill. They have like eight billion dollars in cash. They are gap profitable. Uh, trading around like what twenty times forward earnings. It's not the worst thing to do for trading wise. But like as we all experience in PayPal, like the cheap can also get cheaper very quickly. Yeah, they gotta get doing this like prove it period now. It's gonna be like flat but joe you always you know and this is such a psychological thing about owning a stock falling in love with it telling yourself repeatedly why you like it it's at 60 oh now it's at 40 i've already lost so much i can't lose anymore oh shit now it's at 30 dollars. it can't go any lower then it goes to 20 you're like oh at this point i might as well hold it and that's the psychology that i learned in season one with a lot of these high growth and I have learned quite a bit about just buying good companies and, and keeping it simple, stupid, as Joey says. We don't need to be the most brilliant minds in the world. Follow the most brilliant minds in the world and invest in those companies, especially in times like this, where it's not 0% uh, interest rates and all the high growth goes crazy. So one, though, to eat my own words here, D-Local and off that Mercado Libre news. So they got, they just took their CFO from Mercado Libre. It jumped 50%. Now there has to be other news. I can't imagine it jumped 50% purely on bringing a new CFO in. Well, so they also reported earnings and this company is growing very fast, profitable. It's a machine, but the stock was just murdered after a short report. So the, this is the other thing we were talking, you know, like Freedom Holding, D locals, this Uruguay based company. The numbers almost seemed too good to be true because it was growing so fast, so profitable. Like, how could this be? So to have a big name short reporter throw shade at it, you know, it was just immediately left for dead. And so then you see, we had news, Mercado Libre lost its CFO like last week, I want to say. We didn't know where he was going. And then all of a sudden we get the news that he joined D-Local. So to see a very prominent financial mind leave such a great company like Mercado Libre, People then were drawing the conclusion he must have done his due diligence on D-Local, saw that it is a legit company, the short report was wrong, and you know he's going to help create this monster, almost like he helped create Mercado Pago into a monster. So that's like where a lot of optimism came in. So then pair that with a great earnings report, it's like, wow, these numbers really are great, and you saw the stock just off to the races. It's since come back down, a significant portion that was given up just because overall weakness in the market, but it does make people think that the numbers are legit. Hot tip. What if Mercado Libre sent him in as a spy to go check the numbers and make sure they're legit before they acquire them? And then, well, so that's, I, I, I had the same thought with Shia. I was like, what if he was trying to acquire D Local yeah. through Mercado Libre and Mercado Libre was saying no? And he's like, well, fine. I'm, I'm going to go lead the dang thing then. But I'm so, thinking that Mer Mercado Libre eventually acquires them because they have payments. Yeah, and if, if he kept that relationship, yeah, if he kept the relationship, like, hey, I am going to go. But 
there's a ton of things that's probably happening behind the scenes that we have no idea about. Like, as crazy as it sounds, like nobody remembers that the rumors just hours before their earnings, like of DLocal looking for a sale. That happened hours before the earnings, before Pedro being announced. Like something's being manipulated behind the scenes. But going back to the business itself, it was always such an undervalued stock in a fintech industry where it's like super exciting in Latin America where it's like exploding, as you guys all know from Mercado Pago. Everyone wanted a reason to like jump into like the DLocal pool. And now they finally got one with Pedro leading the ship now. So that completely changed the narrative for me. Like I started a position, a 1% position in DLocal. I'm going to slowly DCAing it, hoping I can get to closer to $15. But like with if the numbers are actually true, which I believe it is because Pedro knows his stuff, um, it should be at least a $25 stock. So I'm totally comfortable like starting my position around this price. Um, I also want to call out that Muddy Water shorted Tesla at $20 billion. So they do some pretty big misses. I'm not going to say D-Local's the next Tesla, but always be cautious of what you read from short reports. All right, Shai's got a take, but it's 2.55 p.m. And this will be published afterwards. So you guys have to believe us. But uh, Shai, here we have to put the clock up so people can see. 2.55, you have a hot take before earnings on Pan W. They're going to be selling their hardware business. I think that's what they're going to announce. And it's going to be kind of a spinoff where they're going to have to go over all, the whole weekend meeting with analysts to like come up with upcoming, like what their guidance will be on, like what their PE will be going forward. I think it's going to be a big structural shift. And I think it's going to make the company much more attractive. It's going to be more of a higher growth software business. And I think that's why they're rushing it. I think a lot of negativity is priced into the stock right now. So I'm like tempted to make a trade on it just because I think it's going to be a tailwind for the company that they're reporting after the bell on Friday. I do like that take. That would be significant. And so like one of the reasonings they were trying to get people to not think it was going to be something significant was they're going to give their guidance for fiscal 2024, provide financial targets through fiscal 2026, and then we'll, we'll provide a review of company strategy, including product roadmap, go-to-market, financial objectives, and total addressable market to provide an updated view of Palo Alto's market opportunity investment thesis. So that would be a great time if they make a significant change or sell off a portion of the business and all of that would need to be redone. Mm-hmm. But yeah, after the close on a Friday, like it, it's so weird. I kept thinking this can't be right. This can't be right. But it's got to be something, you know, mind blowing to want to, to even want to do this. And I, I'm just left wondering, like, it can't be great. Because they would have done that on Thursday because, you know, they want to reap the gains on Friday because, you know, there's a lot of time for people to forget unless they think this is great news, but people really need to take time to digest it to understand come Monday morning. But I'm ready for some fireworks. They need some analyst notes to come out before Monday, opening on Monday. I think that's why they did it on Friday. All right, let's wrap this thing up. We got some earnings here for next (laughs) Shy. Phenomenal job on the earnings releases every single week. Big one on Monday. We got Zoom after the close. We got a lot of Chinese stocks. So QFU, I didn't even know what that name was. We got Baidu on Tuesday on the open. Lowe's, Medtronic, Dix, Cody. After the close on Tuesday, we got Urban Outfitters and Toll Brothers. Wednesday, we have Grab, Williams-Sonoma, Peloton, Foot Locker, Analog Devices. After the close, we got NetApp, Splunk, Autodesk, Snowflake, NVIDIA. And on Thursday, we got Futu before the open, Opera, 
Riley, we'll give you a quick shout out on Opera there. We'll see what happens. And then Thursday after the close, we got Intuit, Workday, Marvel, Alta, Affirm, and Nordstrom. So headlines this week, obviously Snowflake, NVIDIA. Anything else you're looking at? Zoom could be interesting as well. And some of these Chinese stocks. So Snowflake is very delicate. If they miss, they will tank. A sympathy play would be MongoDB if you want to protect your portfolio. So Snowflake's my number one dog in my portfolio. I'm going to probably buy some hedges via MongoDB just so I don't lose a couple of my gains for this year just on one report. Um, yeah, that's my, my t- NVIDIA. Oh my God. If they miss, look out market. Yeah, that was the big one for me was so I, I feel like Snowflake, they're on very thin ice. They, they cannot mess up like a single metric or that could go back to the previous lows they saw just because it's still trading at such a premium valuation with growth rate in, in like the 30s, I think is what they're projecting to. Um, but NVIDIA, uh, we were talking about this earlier in our group text where it is it is very important for technology because a lot of the gains this year, like just think they kind of set AI on fire. They got everybody pumped up. It was a big part of the whole run up in tech this year that if they end up saying something that doesn't live up to expectations or causes a lot of the gains from the last report to be given up, people would start throwing out all the other AI names and then you just get this cascading effect where triggers hit everywhere and everybody starts selling everything, capitulation comes into play and nobody wants that. Indeed, Joey, nobody wants that at all. But do you know what people do want is football. And I am so excited for this season. We are partnering with Underdog Fantasy. If you guys aren't familiar with them, they have this best ball mania. I've done about 30 or so of these different uh, drafts so far. 25 bucks to enter, $15 million in total prizes, $3 million to first place. What's cool about this, it's like a beach stock for fantasy, right? You pick one team once. You don't need to worry about pickups, drops, trades, or anything like that. It optimizes your best lineup. So if you've ever played fantasy football and you're like, oh, I put this dude on the bench. Now you don't need to worry about that. So we'll be partnering with them throughout the season. We're also going to be matching up to $100. So if you guys put in $10, we'll match $10. If you, you put in $100, we'll put in 100 as well on your behalf. We'll be doing special prizes throughout the year that are exclusive to PTT listeners. That's right, Av. Make sure they use the promo code PTT, as in pounding the table, to ensure you get involved in our special bonuses throughout the year. The guys will be placing the link in the bio. See, it's so fun. Even your wives will enjoy the game. So make sure they sign up as well. Also using the PTT promo. And make sure to stay tuned. We are finally going to be releasing the Celsius interview with the CEO, John Fieldley, on Monday of this week. So keep your eyes peeled and enjoy the rest of the weekend. Y'all on level one, on level three. on the table for my team. Every night I flex, I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big moves. That's a big move. I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big moves. That's a big move. Yeah. Make a play, don't talk about it. Master P, I'm about it, about it. This one here for all that try to count me out and they still counting. Honestly, I never doubt it. Say the top is never crowded. Well, I'm trying to climb the mountain till I need a few. Counting sockets rising, perfect timing. I'm in prickle with the try. Shawty sliding, she wants sushi, she wants eel sauce with the rice. I just peel off with the light.